Hello, everybody. Jeff Mason with Simple Biz 360 here coming to you from stlewispodcast.com. That's stlewispodcast.com. We got Alex Dietrich on the boards, Mason Von Letbetter on the intro. I'm Jeff with simplebiz360.com. And uh, we are here today uh, talking about tool number 62 establish your core hallmark and live up to it. So what is that? Well, uh, think of a hallmark or think of that, you know, we're in the core chapter now. So think of that core hallmark as, I don't know, what would you want on your business tombstone when everything is said and done? How would you want to be remembered? Well, maybe you want to be remembered for a skill. Maybe your core hallmark is a skill. Maybe you're a, um, you know, a drywaller, but you're a taper. You know, I, I've always heard, you know, I don't do drywalling, you know, I don't do taping, but man, taping is an art in of itself. So maybe you're going to be one of the, remembered as one of the best tapers ever. You know, maybe you're going to be remembered as one of the best wedding photographers or uh, best wedding planners or, you know, you, oh my gosh, the things you could do with a lawn, uh, you know, you were the resurrection guy, you, you resurrected lawns, I don't know. Or is it going to be something that's more service related or kind of attitude related or philosophy? How do you go about doing business? How do you perform service? Are, you know, are you on it? Are you, you know, what are you the, you know, I was referring to one time and still am in, in one circle, um, I'm considered the, the get it done guy. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm considered at this place because I, I helped uh, solve some warranty issues and, you know, they never forgot that. So, but in my case, um, I, what I did is when I worked in the Wall Street area right out of uh, college, in my first entry-level job, I had the distinct pleasure of working in a small little section of Wall Street, and I called on uh, large Wall Street law firms. I called on brokerage houses, clearing houses. I called on banks, and I called on insurance companies. So I had, like, Chase Manhattan Bank and AIG before it was a household name. Had big Wall Street law firms, Cadwalder, Wickersham, and Taft, Dewey, Bushby, Palmer, and Wood, Ballantyne, Dewey, Ballantyne, Bushby, Palmer, and Wood. I mean, big law firms. So at any rate, um, at the end of, you know, dealing with folks there and finishing my meetings or finishing transactions, I would always ask them, hey, I'm a young guy. What's, what advice could you give me? What, you know, what would you say would be the best business advice you could give a person of, of my age and, and stature, young stature in the business world? And when, you know, I jumbled all this into a salt shaker and shook it up and sprinkled it out, it, it, it came out, be professional. And I was to define professionalism the way I wanted to. So what was what's really been neat is if we fast forward, you know, to 1989 when I decided to write this book, I, I then entered into this period of my career where everything was a creative exercise. So I knew what I want, wanted written on my tombs, business tombstone at the end, and I knew that everything I was doing, I would take notes on, I would catalog, I would uh, remember, I would identify with as the decades go on, and some stuff would make the book, some stuff wouldn't. Obviously, some stuff is going to make the podcast and some won't. But, you know, in that process, um, I'm not perfect. I got plenty of people out there that, that don't think I'm professional, that didn't think I was professional, uh, made some mistakes, made some enemies, just a byproduct of being in the business world. I certainly uh, have tried to uh, curtail that over the last amount of decades and, and bring that in and make sure that everybody that I'm winning the middle of all these business relationships, but you know what? It's it's impossible. You can't always do it. There's plenty of people out there that don't feel I was professional. But I have tons of emails and tons of tons of stories, and there's a, a, a lot of different business um, 
personnel you could talk to that would say, you know what, that guy was a pro. And, and that's what I want written on there. So I, I chose that. And I worked towards that goal for 30 years. So what's yours? And, and, and I encourage you to do this. And I encourage you to pick a spot to go to. Uh, Windridge Solitude, which I mentioned in my book, is it's a beautiful place in the Ozark. It's got four cabins. You can stay there. You have to schedule ahead of time. But it's a great place to go. Reflect, think, contemplate, um, pray, think, you know, just, just really uh, refresh yourself. Um, take walks on their beautiful uh, 137 acres. It's just a great, 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 great spot to go to. But I encourage you to, to think about that. What would you want written on your business tombstone at the end of your career? And what is it that you're in, you know, in doing right now in your business that could be that hallmark in progress? And pick it, choose it, work at it, refine it, polish it. Uh, really make it your own and, and allow you, as a result, to stand out from your competitors and not blend in. And the way I always look at it is, you know, if there's 10 competitors out there fighting for a spot or fighting for spots, you know, do you want to be, you know, eight of those 10 or do you want to be two of those 10? I say you want to be two of those 10. You want to stand out with one other competitor and, and really help to kind of quiet down the competitive noise with the other eight. And you can do that by picking a core hallmark you can call your own. So I'm, I'm going to give you, I got a lot of stories, but I'm going to give you one that, that for me reinforced that I was on the right track. And you know, there's not a lot of times, folks, that we get a chance to get reinforcements in the business world. And not everybody tells us about the things we're doing great, but they'll tell us about the things we're doing wrong uh, for sure. But I had an interesting situation. I made uh, young men's shorts and pants for Kohl's for many years. And um, I had, was in the midst of a springtime in the late 90s where I was de um, delivering hundreds of thousands of shorts. And my buyer uh, unexpectedly uh, was told by the doctors one day, hey, you have stage four HIV. Uh, you've got to get out of stressful situations. And he was my buyer one afternoon. And I never heard from him again. He was gone the next day. So we were called in, to, my boss and I, I were called into Cole's headquarters up in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, and it was a hot May day. It was very hot, and the air conditioning hadn't been turned on in, in the headquarters there, and if any of you have ever called on Cole's, you probably know what I'm talking about. We were in these little rooms with no window, no air. It's about five or six of us in this little teeny room. We were absolutely baking. Now, when you're under, the, under pressure like that and they're questioning everything that you're doing and you've done and why are these prices the way they are, why is all this, you know, you're, you're even sweating and getting even more hot under the collar. But we let professionalism rule. We let evidence be our factual guide. We presented everything fairly and squarely. We were very, very forthcoming. Uh, we were 110% you know, honest with the whole situation. And, you know, we were making very expensive uh, fabrics and, and very expensive shorts for Kohl's. But they, you know, the buyer wanted to chase these um, specialty fabrics that had all these tricky washes on it. We were enzymes, silicone, sand, washing the, all these shorts. It was, it was, it was quite the, quite the uh, undertaking. And so, long story short, uh, we you know, were excused from this meeting, and the good folks at Kohl's, I must say, were phenomenal. They, they looked at everything factually. They agreed with everything we presented. They understood we didn't 
you know, persuade the Coles. We didn't do anything nefarious at all. Everything was on the up and up, and we were just executing what the buyer wanted us to do. Well, fast forward a couple months later, I had the opportunity to compete for a, a large uh, Sonoma Chino program in the late 90s, and uh, we won it. And sometime, I don't know, around June or July, we, late June, early July, we won the, uh, the Chino program. And then fast forward to an August trade show. We went to the Magic Show, which some of you might be familiar with, and that was in it's in Las Vegas twice a year. And here we are at Magic in late August. I'm um, at my company booth, and all the, the entourage from Coles comes by, and you know everybody's there. And and, and the divisional merchandise manager, a gentleman by the name of Paul Jones, very nice guy. Uh, he was spearheaded this effort in May, and he was with the group. And the group, you know, shook my hand, got to know everybody, said hello, thank you, you guys are doing great, blah blah blah. And as they walked off, Mr. Jones said, uh, Jeff, could you, could you come out into the aisle for a second? And I said, sure. I went out into the aisle. And he said, I want you to know that the reason we're here today and the reason you have that Chino program is directly related to how you conducted yourself in that hot little room in May. And, you know, it's one of those, it was one of those rare moments where you just go, check, you know, check. I get it. This is, this is what I work for. I, I want that. This guy's a pro to be on my business tombstone at the end. And this was saying, Jeff, you are nothing but professional. And that's why you were awarded the business. And, and, you know, we want to do business with people like you. So folks, I'm just encouraging you. It does matter. It does make you money. It can make you money. So just consider what is your core hallmark establish what it is and then live up to it and they have to do that you have to do that so uh lost in the shuffle track for today i recently found out i have a lot of relatives that were uh that settled and lived for quite a while in pilger nebraska small little town 300 some odd people uh they're famous for two e4 tornadoes that ripped through twin tornadoes twisters i think it was back in 2010 that came through town ruined quite a bit of the town but if you go south from Pilgrim, Nebraska, you run into Lincoln, Nebraska, and there's a gentleman born in 1965 out of Lincoln, Nebraska, Matthew Sweet. And Matthew Sweet went on down to the uh, University of Georgia, Athens, that hot little music mecca in the late uh, 80s and 90s, and he was part of that scene down there and really grew his name, uh, if, I'm, if I'm understanding the chronology correct. But he came out in 1991 with a, the title track to his album called Girlfriend, and I'm telling you, the first time I heard this track, it was just one of those tracks. It just, boom, it lit me up. I'm like, I love every lick of this. I love the sound. I love the, you know, I just, it just, it was one of those feel-good songs. It's just cool. So if, if you could go find Matthew Sweet, and it's called Girlfriend, released in 1991, short song, four minutes or so. So at any rate, thanks so much for sharing with us. Please go back, consider the January 1st blog. Go back on my website, the 3Y Challenge. We did an 18-minute video, 19-minute last week uh, that was on the 3Y Challenge. So go, go or it wasn't last week, it was on uh, the January 9th. So go back and check that out. And uh, hey, please hold on to that sand. Keep pleasing those customers and keep the shiny side up when you're driving. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.